of all of Jesus' words from the cross, perhaps we can identify most closely with the fifth word, I thirst. Maybe not so much with the others. If you're like me, you struggle to imagine yourself requesting God's mercy for your enemies in the very moment that they persecute you and kill you, like Jesus did. You and I certainly don't have the authority to grant anyone entrance into paradise or declare redemption's work finished like Jesus did. But we've all been thirsty. Most of us at some point in our lives have become very thirsty, perhaps even dehydrated. Uh, Living here in the valley, we all have stories to tell, don't we, about that type of thing. After all, it's a dry heat. Of course, at the most basic level, friends, Jesus' words, I thirst, remind us of His humanity. When He, the second person of the Godhead, entered this world to redeem humanity, He did not come as some sort of disembodied spirit detached from what life is like for us. No, He assumed our humanity, which of course included a real human body. Jesus wasn't sort of some sort of unique hybrid of God and man either, where the divine kind of made up for the deficiencies, the inherent frailties associated with being a human. Jesus did not have a superhuman body. It wasn't some leveled up existence from our own. No, He took on our full humanity. Jesus shared every natural, normal human weakness that we have except for sin. He shared our experience in this sin-cursed world of deprivation and suffering. Jesus experienced fatigue. He had sleepless nights. He felt the pangs of hunger. He knew the pain of sickness. And yes, He thirsted. He is fully God, but in every way also fully man. And as a man undergoing the excruciating, brutal agony of crucifixion, Friends, it's no wonder that Jesus was thirsty. Up to the point when Jesus spoke the fifth word from the cross, He had been flogged mercilessly by the Romans, His back filleted into shreds by their whips. The soldiers mocked our Lord by fashioning a crown of thorns and hammering it into His skull. After the mock trial before the Jews, Jesus depleted by the lost blood and the agony of his beating, was forced to carry the beam of his cross down the Via Dolorosa to Golgotha, the location of his crucifixion. Once there, the Romans attached the horizontal beam of the cross to the vertical post and then laid Jesus upon it. They stripped him naked. They hammered spikes through his wrists to fasten him to the cross. They raised it up and they dropped it forcefully into a pre-dug hole in the ground. All of the weight of Jesus' body would have pressed constantly against the nails as gravity pulled Him downward on the cross. And there He hung suspended for six agonizing hours, struggling for breath, bleeding to death, exposed to the elements. It's no wonder that He thirsted. And yet, as brutal as it was, John 19.28 indicates that Jesus' words, friends, were about more than His physical need. Look again at verse 28. It says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, To fulfill the Scripture, I thirst. 
A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. In other words, friends, something, was, something more was going on than meets the eye. Jesus made this statement, I thirst with a purpose. He knew that, that his role in fulfilling God's plan of redemption was nearing its completion. And we know from Jesus' fourth word that we read earlier from Matthew 27 that, that what was filling Jesus' mind as He hung there upon the cross were the words of Messianic Psalms like Psalm 22. In that psalm, King David sang in anguish about God's apparent abandonment of him in his suffering. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus appropriated that very language on the cross. He understood that King David's words of righteous suffering found their ultimate fulfillment in him, the Messiah, David's son, yet David's Lord. Verse 15 of Psalm 22 said, my, says, My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Friends, I could be wrong, but when your tongue sticks to your jaws, it's because you're thirsty. All the moisture in your mouth is dried up. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if this echo of Psalm 22 was still in Jesus' mind when He cried, I thirst. But these words clearly and directly fulfill another Psalm of David about his suffering as king, Psalm 69. There David sings of the waves of death that were crashing over his soul, his throat parched from crying out to God. And perhaps you notice as Tina read earlier, verses 19 to 21, David writes that his suffering included public shame and public dishonor at the hands of his enemies. You know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My foes are all known to you. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I'm in despair. I looked for pity and there was none and for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food. And for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. David laments in Psalm 69 because everyone saw his suffering, but no one cared. He was surrounded by vicious threats and callous onlookers. He had physical needs like hunger and thirst, but instead of giving him sustenance, his enemies sought to harm him further, poison for food, sour wine to drink. Wine has its benefits, but slaking one's thirst is not one of them. If anything, wine makes you more thirsty. And in this case, it wasn't even good to taste. It was cheap, sour wine, not sweet. Friends, you don't have to be a biblical scholar to see the sufferings of David in Psalm 69 amplified and beautifully fulfilled in the righteous suffering of Jesus on the cross. The pattern of this one king's suffering was fulfilled in his greater son. Beloved, Jesus' quoting of Psalm 69 shows us that despite all of the opposition, all the pain, all the agony, all the deprivation, Jesus was in total control. He knew the scriptures. He no doubt was looking down from the cross and he saw there the jar of sour vinegar wine that the Roman soldiers were drinking from. And he knew that if he called attention to his thirst, they might offer it to him. Indeed, they would offer it to him. And when that unsuspecting Roman soldier held up the sponge soaked in sour wine to Jesus' lips, 
in what any other in 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 what in any other case would have been a benign, insignificant act. Well, that soldier actually participated in, in fulfilling the ancient words of King David, and so broadcasted to all the world that the one hanging there was indeed the Christ. All the psalmists and prophets, what they had foretold, had come true. But friends, we know that the promised suffering of the Messiah that Jesus endured, it wasn't merely physical, was it? It was profoundly spiritual. The death of Jesus on the cross was no ordinary Roman crucifixion. In fact, the real significance of Jesus' death was its divine purpose. Because behind the Jews' rejection and the Romans' execution of our Christ lie the sovereign plan of God to save sinners, to rescue rebels, to redeem a people for himself. As we'll read here in a few moments from Isaiah 53, it was the will of the Lord to crush Jesus as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. On the cross, Christ Jesus bore all the griefs and all the sorrows of all the sins of all who would trust in him for salvation. Friends, Jesus' severe thirst that day was but one of the many untold sorrows that he carried for us. But Jesus' purposeful fulfillment of Psalm 69, it indicates, friends, that Jesus was not a helpless victim of divine wrath. No, he was an active participant in God's plan to save. He willingly went to the cross and purposefully and in love endured the physical agony of Roman crucifixion to bear the eternal judgment that your sins and my sins had earned. Friends, even as Jesus thirsted, he was drinking to the dregs of the cup of the wrath of God. I can't help but hear in Jesus' fifth word, I thirst, not merely the cry of physical deprivation, but the cry of your and my spiritual thirst coming out of his mouth as he bore our sins on that tree. You see, it wasn't only Christ's body that bore our punishment. That would have made him the redeemer of bodies alone. No, the greater and more excellent price was paid by the suffering of Christ's soul as he became sin for us. God dealt with him on the cross as if Jesus was the one spiritually unsatisfied, not us in our sin. You know, in John's gospel alone, the idea of spiritual thirst and satisfaction just runs like a thread through the gospel. Early in Jesus' ministry, he told the woman at the well, everyone who drinks of the water of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Jesus told his disciples in John 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes on me shall never thirst. John records in chapter 7 that on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Friends, these verses make plain 
the reality of you and me. That although each one of us was created by God to worship and enjoy Him forever and so be satisfied by Him, in our sins, we have sought to slake our thirst elsewhere. Friends, we would rather drink from the shallow, tepid wells of other small g gods, believing that they can satisfy our souls more than God can. We try to quench our spiritual thirst by, by drinking from all types of things. We're very creative in our pursuit of satisfaction. Wealth, fame, career success, hedonistic pleasures like food and drink and sex and comforts and op opioids and whatever else we can conceive of that we think constitutes the, the satisfied, fulfilled life. And yet, because the things we seek were never meant to bear the weight of our worship, because they were never created by God to be the ultimate source of our life and satisfaction, all they do is make us thirstier. False gods may satiate us for a time, but they cannot satisfy. Jeremiah the prophet pictured this misplaced worship like forsaking God, the ever-replenishing fountain of living waters and giving that up for a broken, dried-up cistern that cannot hold any water at all. What we think will fill us up has always emptied us. Our modern world is trying to sell you a bill of goods every day, friend, with its ideologies and philosophies that they guarantee will satisfy your spiritual thirst. They might not phrase it that way, but that's what they're aiming at. Here's where meaning is. Here's where purpose is. Here's where pleasure is. Discover and express the real you. Purpose and meaning and satisfaction is, is found in whatever you want it to be found in. But what the world will never advertise is the brokenness and the disillusionment and the emptiness that that sin brings. The more sin you consume, the more unsatisfied your heart grows. The more you drink from anything else other than God, the thirstier you become. Sin is just tragic in its irony. And yet, not only does our sin fail to satisfy our souls, it incurs God's just and holy wrath for our false worship. It's not merely that we've harmed ourselves, it's that we've earned condemnation for all eternity. But friends, I'm here to remind you of the wonderful news once again. This is precisely why Jesus died. This is why Good Friday exists. The reason that, that Jesus could boldly beckon the crowds and the disciples and you and me to come to him and drink and so be satisfied forever was because he knew that one day on Golgotha's hill, he would thirst. Jesus' physical thirst was a profound symbol of taking your and my spiritual thirst upon himself so that he in turn could cause us to drink from the ever-replenishing fountain of life found in him. As the old Puritan prayer goes, on the cross, Christ was all anguish that you might be all joy. Cast off that you might be brought in trodden down as an enemy that you might be welcomed as a friend. 
surrendered to hell's worst that you might attain heaven's best, stripped that you might be clothed, wounded that you might be healed, a thirst that you might drink. If you're here tonight and you're still trying to satisfy your soul apart from God, apart from Jesus, well, friend, I hope you'll begin to sense how shallow the world's well really is. If it hasn't run dry and shriveled your soul yet, just wait. It will. The satisfaction sin offers is like a mirage in a desert. It fades as quickly as it appears. Tonight, Jesus is beckoning you to see Him dying on the tree with His thirst unquenched so that He might quench your spiritual thirst forever. True life and satisfaction are found only in Him. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let's let Christ's anguish remind us of His great love and mercy. When He cried out with a parched throat and with cracked lips, I thirst, He cried in your voice and in my voice. He made our sins and sorrows His very own so that we might be restored and forgiven to the life that God created us to live. Friends, what unimaginably wondrous love is this? Isn't it fitting that some of the last words of the Bible, also as it happened to be penned by the Apostle John, are Jesus' words to come and drink of eternal life. Revelation 22, the Spirit and the Bride say, come. And the one who hears says, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. It costs us nothing because it cost him everything. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, We rejoice tonight with a deeply mournful joy that you thirsted so that we might drink forever of eternal life in you. We praise you that on the cross you went unsatisfied so that we might be satisfied in you forever. Oh, Father, forgive us for so many times, even as believers, slaking our thirst with other things, running to other things, other, other would-be wells for satisfaction. And those things never satisfy us. That life, that joy, that peace, it's only found in you. Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray that Tonight, as we continue to, to read and to sing of your crucifixion for us, Lord, that if any of us has been apathetic in our Christian life or wandering from you, oh, Father, that this might be a moment of turning and a moment of recommitment, that all that we are is in you. Your sorrows mean our joy now and forever. 
We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.